Hey everybody, this is Josh Carson with UPCI Youth Ministries. Thanks for taking time to listen in to another one of our youth ministry training podcasts. This particular episode is going to uh, feature one of my buddies, David Moorhead, talking about tables, tribes, and small groups. This is going to be an incredible uh, episode, and I'm glad that you're taking the time to listen in. As you may or may not know, the reason that this is able to happen is because of She's for Christ. Your giving sacrificially to She's for Christ helps make uh, this podcast possible. Uh, For those of you that were recently able to be at youth ministry training event, uh, you know what an incredible time that we had together. If you missed it, there were a record number of youth workers, 529, in fact, that gathered here in St. Louis at the sanctuary pastored by Pastor Scott Graham, an incredible array of speakers, workshop uh, speakers, general session speakers, lab sessions. It was just an amazing, amazing time. And so if you weren't able to be here, though, you can go online to upciyouth.com. You can follow the link, purchase a drop card, and be able to get all the media from that. And so if you were not here, I highly encourage you to go online and purchase one of those drop cards. Well, I want us to take a moment here tonight. I want us to pray and ask God just to help our hearts and our minds to be ready to receive what uh, Brother David Moorhead is going to speak to us. Even though you're listening in on the podcast, I I just invite you to take a moment and pray that the words that are spoken can find good lodging in your heart. Lord Jesus, we love you. We thank you for the opportunity to be involved in youth ministry. It truly is an honor Uh, to be able to speak into the lives of young men and young women. You've entrusted us with this opportunity. And so we ask your blessing, O God, upon uh, our hearts that we could be open, that the seed of your word could find good lodging again tonight, uh, and that it can do a work in our lives. We ask it all in Jesus' name. And wherever you're at listening in, say amen. Well, our buddy joining us here tonight, David Moorhead, is a full-time evangelist endorsed by Enrolled Evangelists, an association of children's evangelists of the UPCI that uh, bases out of Battle Creek, Michigan. David's been involved in youth ministry for 20 years as a youth pastor, an evangelist, a team builder extraordinaire, youth ministry seminar teacher. Uh, He is really a ninja of youth ministry, currently a youth ministry coach. Uh, for several churches. And so if you've never had him to your local assembly or district, he would be an incredible asset. David is married to his doctor wife, Bobby, who, uh, you know, keeps him in check from time to time. Uh, She's currently the superintendent of Covert Public Schools in Covert, Michigan, and is also an ordained minister with the United Pentecostal Church International. With her 20 years of public school experience, she brings great knowledge and expertise to David with their uh, youth ministry training and what they do traveling. Rosemarie, this is his incredible young eight-year-old daughter. She's a vibrant minister of the ministry team, bringing lots of joy, laughter, and help with her dad to the team building activities. Recently, I was with uh, Brother Moorhead, and he showed me some video, and I got to see Rose again. I was very just uh, excited about what the Lord's doing with this family. Uh, You can find Many of David's youth articles and his team building activities at, at his blog, which is uh, www.whoopblog.com, and that is spelled W H O O P W H O O P B L O G.com. And David would be uh, very much wanting me to spell whoop 
for you so that it's done correctly. All right, without further ado, my buddy, the TARP King, the uh, team building extraordinaire, brother David Moorhead, I want you to just take it away, man. Thank you, brother Carson, and thank you, Youth Ministry, for allowing me to be on this call. I'm very excited about today. Today, we're talking about tables, tribes, and small groups. Going small in order to grow big. I love growth. Growth is exciting, but it can also be disruptive. And as a youth pastor, having students coming in, it's a wonderful thing. And then it comes to a point where we had uh, seven young people in Battle Creek, Michigan, when I became the youth pastor, and we called ourselves Extreme Seven. That's where our name kind of launched from. And through community events and school events, we had a very uh, strong tie with the public school system and our community. Um, in about seven, six or seven years, we grew to a point of 60 or 70 students in our Wednesday night program. And our church uh, was leadership was very much behind our youth ministry. And a lot of what we did on Wednesday night was totally geared for our students. And so we were they were coming in. We had a large staff, about 15 or so adults that were helping us. And we got to a point where we felt we had plateaued and we kept hitting 60 or 70 and we couldn't get past that. We would have community events where we'd have three or 400 guests come um, and we couldn't seem to harvest any of those uh, contacts that we made because they people would come, but we just had a hard time getting them to stick from a relational standpoint. So we had a meeting with the staff and a lot of the staff members were feeling a little frustrated because uh, one man told me, I just feel overwhelmed. I can't, I don't know their names. I don't know who they are. I just feel like there's too many people. And uh, generally too many people is a good problem, but the staff just felt they were not able to be relational. Our church has always tried to be a relational church and we were having a hard time doing that in our student ministry with all of the kids and so we had a staff meeting and we began to talk about what could we do. Our church had tried small groups and uh, we were a small group church. However, with the youth department, for us personally, we had a hard time because we were trying to do this in homes. And that was just a logistical problem for us. And I know there are some that have overcome those issues, but for us, it was just a little daunting and so we started talking about what if we go with the same concept of small groups, because I love small groups in nature. It's a small group of people that are talking and doing life together. But what if we do that all in the big room together? So we'll all be in one room as one big group, but then we will also simultaneously be in small groups. So the way that we decided to do this was on our Wednesday night service, we would have a regular service. We would go forth regular, but everyone would be sitting at tables. And so at each table, there would be an adult leader and a student leader broken off with a certain group of students. And we really didn't know how this would work, but we um, 
we talked about it, we launched and went forth. And for us, it was a, a great way to break everything down in smaller pieces and still be together. In the UPCI Youth Ministry Handbook, The Art of Youth Work, I gave a few following reasons why I am a major proponent for tables. One, it breaks students up into smaller groups. It predetermines teaching that way you don't have to stop and say, okay, I need five groups and they're already created for you. It creates a greater sense of community. It gives you a place to put the materials you need for an interactive classroom and it creates an atmosphere. So I'm gonna break down tables through the tenets of the acronym TABLE. And there's five main tenets, and I wanna go through these really quickly to give a framework of why we do tables and kind of how we do tables. One of the biggest whys for table ministry is T is for talk. If we're not careful, our youth group settings can create an environment that only fosters one-way communication. You may have heard this as sit and get. As the all-powerful youth leader begins to speak and share his or her amazing knowledge, and all of the students are mesmerized by everything they have to say. Or maybe not. And when you look out and see them asleep, you realize that maybe you're not quite as wise. And it would be good to have more of a conversation. My wife, Dr. Bobby Moorhead, who is a PhD in education, she likes to say that the person talking is the person doing the learning. Therefore, if you as the teacher in front of the class are the only one talking, you're really the only one that is learning. And that is not a beneficial thing to happen. So we want the students to learn as well and create a conversation. So when you're sitting at a table, when you're eating food, what do you do? You, you talk to each other and you create that two-way communication where everyone is able to be involved. On the very first night that we launched Tables, we started a series called TUI, Teens Under the Influence. And it was a powerful thing I had asked Officer Leo Rivera, who was an active police officer in our community, as well as a member of our church board, if he would come in and talk to us about teens under the influence of drugs. He came in in his full uniform and began to talk to the students. And he, gave, he said, I want to give a definition of what it means to be under the influence of drugs. He said, you may think this is a weird topic because how many of the 12 or 14 year olds in here are actually doing drugs? But let me give you a definition. He said, the definition of being under the influence of drugs is that anyone in your home, if anyone, an uncle, an aunt, a dad, a grandma, a brother, an uncle is doing drugs in your home, then your entire home is under the influence of drugs. He then said, what do you think about that statement? So when he paused, our table leaders began talking with the students. He then said, I want you to bow your head and just raise your hand if anyone in your immediate 
at home over the last year or two has been imprisoned due to drugs. After church, one of our table leaders came and she had expressed concerns to me before thinking this wouldn't work. And she had tears in her eyes and she said, Brother David, all seven of my girls at my table raised their hand that they currently have an immediate member of their family in jail due to drugs. And she said, I feel like I know their stories now. I know their names now. So it came to where I said, here's the thing. Be nice to every student that we have in our ministry, but you only have to know the names and truly know the lives of the people sitting at your table. Know them, grow with them, and build relationships with them. And so as we talk to them, we learn these things. The second point is accountability. A for accountability. You only need to know those seven to 10 people at your table, their likes, their dislikes. And so I've got four main responsibilities of accountability. It includes number one, connect with them. When they show up, uh, smile at them, greet them with a smile, talk to them, um, make sure at your table, you're taking attendance, however your group does that, whether it's electronically or uh, an attendance record, but just connect with your students. Secondly, follow up on them. So it's not the main director's job to have to follow up on every student who missed or brand new students that came in. It is your job if you had a new student join your table or if you had someone that wasn't there, then you were going to connect with them and you can use uh, Facebook, phone, text message, handwritten cards, personal visit, whatever it takes to connect with them. And connect how they feel comfortable. If a student's a texture, maybe that's your best way to connect. If that student is a caller, then that's the best way to connect. Don't do it on your comfort level. Connect on their comfort level. And then remember them. As a leader of your table, you're taking personal oversight of their tribe. Know when their games are. Know when their uh, presentations are. And if you can't be there, at least sending them a note. Hey, I, I knew you were singing today in your concert at school. And just praying for you and making sure that you had a great day. We had a leader that every time there was a special event, when there were birthdays or whatever, I'd see her come in with a tray of Starbucks cups and she would stop by and get Starbucks. And then it got to where she would just make up events so that she could celebrate with Starbucks. Just create ownership and you can create your own feel for your group of people and then fellowship with them. We try to make a point to fellowship with our tribe uh, at least once a quarter outside of the walls. And so um, once every three months, if you can connect with your students that's at your table, whether it's uh, going to one of their concerts or you're all going to one of the students' games or just some way of building that rapport a little bit deeper than just in the building. and then. Our, our third one, and this one may sound a little out of place to all of the other one, other ones, but B is for bucket. Now, I am allergic to downtime. I like to do a lot of activities. I like to 
Um, there's always going to be something going and there's going to be games and we're going to be writing on sticky notes, prayer requests on sticky notes. And we're going to um, have balloons where we're writing, um, you know, prayer requests or definitions of the word repentance or writing a letter to God about the dreams of our future. There's always going to be some kind of activity. But if you have to stop your group, and pass out pens and pass out envelopes and pass out letters and all of these things. Well, it just takes forever. And so I like to use the bucket as the centerpiece where everything is flowing through that, that bucket. So our offering, leaders would take up the offering, put it in the bucket. Prayer, we'd write prayer requests, put it in the bucket. Games, uh, the balloons or the clothes pins would be in the buckets. The letters, everything would be right there in the bucket. And as leader, that gave me a tool to be able to flow so much easier. And the table leader, it helped them as well because all of their supplies were right there in the bucket. Next is leaders. For this to work, we have to have leaders. We always tried to have an adult leader and a student leader at every table. And their um, responsibilities were as follows. Before church, be at church 30 minutes before service, set up your table. We would cover our table with paper and kind of like when you go to a lot of these restaurants and they got paper and pens and all that kind of stuff. Um, you would stock your bucket. You would supply with markers, pens, lesson plans, announcement sheets, game pieces, whatever was needed for that night. During service, you're going to greet guests, you're going to greet your students, you're going to take attendance, facilitate the discussion at your table. Uh, and remember, it's not about you if you're a table leader. It's about facilitating for the students, for them to talk. That is your goal. After service, clean up your table, take down your table, put away chairs, throw away trash, sort your bucket after service. Uh, placing unused items where they go and offering and prayer requests, putting everything in the proper place so you're ready to go for next week. And then through the week, follow up on your guests and follow up on those who missed um, a service. Now, this is just a sample list of requirements. Every environment is that according to your need. And then environment, one of my favorite parts of using tables is an environment. We would decorate the tables. We'd have a uh, painter's paper that we would get uh, very cheap at Lowe's or some other place. And then we would have crayons or Sharpie markers. And when I noticed this, students are going to talk anyway during the course of a lesson, a sermon, a night. So I want them to talk on point with what I'm talking about. And if I'm talking about repentance, I may I draw a picture of repentance right now. And uh, if I feel I'm losing them a little bit, have them uh, write three power words that represent repentance. Write down a scripture. And I would just incorporate that right into what I was doing. And then we would have them name their tables and kind of really make it a, a neat feel where it was their group, their tribe, their uh, environment. I was at South Texas camp last summer. And the first session of the camp, they broke everybody into tribes. They gave them 30 minutes to come up with a tribe name. They gave them a blank colored flag, and then they were able to create a chant. And so 
they would come into services, uh, chanting, and every single event they did was funneled through their tribes, which gives them a special identity. In conclusion, the power of breaking the large group into smaller, more relational groups, we were blessed to average 100 students for an entire school year. And the power of groups is not reliant upon the amount of students or the age group or your participants. What I always like to say is that knowledge is scalable. Methods are scalable. You can make things really big or you can make this really, really simple based on your needs. And I've done this with 100 students uh, and more on Wednesday nights. I have done this as a lead pastor on our Wednesday nights with adults, where it was a more conversational coffee cake type teaching and people could relax a little bit. I currently do it with um, six to 10 year olds on a Wednesday night. And it only takes two tables, one for the boys, one for the girls. So um, this isn't about a particular structure. It's all boiled down in relationships, relationships, relationships. Brother Ranking? Yes, sir. Thank you, Brother Moorhead. That's great information. Thank you for uh, the practical tips about the bucket, all those fabulous things and the examples of, you know, some activities that you would have people do. This is such a um, different approach than perhaps what many youth workers are doing in their Wednesday night or Friday night. And so let's just talk through a few questions, some things that even came to my mind while you were talking, uh, you know, as having served as a youth pastor myself, understanding, OK, how in the world would I have made this work in our group? It sounds exciting, sounds awesome, but um, it, it's so different than classic church. Um, yes. You know, I know some some guys in their youth setting, it's like, you know, a miniature youth rally and there's songs and there's a preacher and everybody's sitting out there and it looks like what we would say is church. So if someone wants to go this direction, um, you know, to tables, tribes and small groups, how do you what is the first thing they need to consider in changing the expectation or the culture of their youth service or the youth setting? Even if they just do this half the Wednesdays of the month just to get started, what are some practical things just to say, OK, can this work for us? How do we make this work? Um, the big picture stuff that kind of you went through when you first started. Well, you know, I think the key word that you said was culture. And our main culture was that we were reaching outside students. And a lot of these were unchurched kids and even first time church kids. And so uh, the church setting seemed a little intimidating. So we were trying to um, bridge that gap, make it, it was still full church. We still had worship. Uh, we, I still preached. We still um, had prayer. We did all of the church things. We just were sitting at tables and then we would facilitate each step through the table leader. Um, I would say start small. And I know a lot of people feel like if there's a method, I got to commit to it 100% all the time, 110%. And um a lot of times we would just do it through certain series and it may be a six week series or an eight week series. And then we would uh, do something different where, you know, sometimes we're doing service projects or things and we would mix it up a little bit. Um, but I, I really like things that have a start date 
and an end date. And so if we're going to say for the next eight weeks, we're teaching on this particular theme and we're going to we're going to go to a table feel. And if it just feels really uncomfortable for everybody, then you can discuss ways to make it more comfortable. Uh, but I don't feel we're ever boxed into something forever. And, you know, six to eight weeks is about the attention span of any teenager anyway. So uh, keeping things fresh in that regard is okay. That's great. Thank you so much, man. That's good advice. Um, let's talk about when you, you talked about how you had adult leaders at each table and then a student leader. How did you how did you go about selecting those student leaders? Were they certain grade? Did they have um, what, what did you kind of look for? Was it outgoing people? Was it organized people? How did you how did those people did they just rise to the top? What were some things just uh, some tips for us on how do we pick a good student leader to help on that table? You know, uh, leaders lead and kind of like you said, you know, do they rise to the top? We had a leadership uh, training every, every Wednesday night. And so Wednesday, about an hour before service, it was for students who wanted to be in leadership. They would come. It was 10, 15 minutes. And then they would get um, we would then flow into the service and that kind of thing. So you start to see who's going to show up, who's going to be consistent. Um, all the things you said, who does work well. Um, and then as we got going, we would have like a leader would then start to identify people at their table because the objective was over the next four to eight weeks, you would want your table to double. And then who's going to take over that table? So it would be these other students would be start taking over tables. And, you know, we had seniors that would actually take over a table if we didn't have enough adults. And um, so you just start seeing who's comfortable in that role, who rises at the top and feels not everyone's comfortable in that real conversational style. So that may not be their spot. There'll be something else. But um, for someone that does feel good at that table, you begin to work them into that. Wonderful. That's great. Now, you're talking about the the uh, talking about the young people. Now, let's let's go to the adult. And that, um, <coughs> excuse me, that was it. The, was it one of the adults that you said that brought Starbucks every week? Yes, that was probably pretty awesome for that table. But what happens to the other tables? What happens to maybe an unfair balance? Um, not not to sound negative, but but how do we how do we deal with maybe a, a roadblock or something that happens? Where we're like, oh, this this table, they're not quite pulling their weight or this person's like all these people want to be at this table because she brings treats or he brings this. How do you kind of help balance that out? Well, you always have that. You've got some leaders that just get it and do it, and then some that are just trying to get by. And so we would try to infuse anything to mix it up. And if that meant uh, table red and table yellow is going to challenge table green and table orange for the next two weeks, and uh, you know you're you're creating that um, that excitement where. In doing so, that one leader that may be lagging a little bit, you team her up with the Starbucks leader and put those, you know, a couple of tables together for a few weeks to try to help infuse that. Or, you know, there may be a situation, too, where, hey, we have a little extra for the budget. 
um, if we can help you with some snacks or, or those kinds of things. And sometimes we would do that where we would just provide snacks for the whole group or something to try to make it special and, and make it exciting. But um, teaming groups, tables together uh, does kind of help break up that uh, monotony a little bit and let that strong leader help the other leaders. Absolutely. Absolutely. Put them together. And uh, yes. let's talk about um, let's talk about some maybe the biggest again, not to be negative, but just you know, there might be some out there thinking that these questions like, OK, this sounds great. But I wonder what was maybe the biggest challenge where we could learn from you and your experience and your youth group there. What's the biggest hurdle you had to get past and how did you get past it uh, or the biggest thing that constantly came up that you had to really um, approach that and say for this to work, we have to consistently take care of. ABC or whatever it is. I think communication, um, just communicate selling to the leaders first. I did have a few leaders that were a little skeptical about the direction we were headed in, but we tried to just really sell them first because if the leaders in the room, if the table leaders are, hey, this is the most exciting thing that's ever happened in the history of youth ministry then most of the other students are going to follow. Um, if a leader is unsure, not knowing what's going to happen, then they can do, you know, they can get a little uh, frustrated and then that shows. So one thing we would try to do is each Wednesday night would take five minutes uh, with the table leaders, explaining to them what was going to happen that night, uh, giving them the agenda, helping them so that they would be ready to know what was happening. And then a lot of time, especially in the beginning, we would debrief after service. Okay, what was your struggles? What can we do? And like you said, when you got kids that are really uh, churched and they're they're used to that row and they're used to um, texting on their phone and just listening, um, that can be a little bit of brushback. But you began to just sell it, and over time, most of the kids have done very well sounds very exciting i kind of wish i was youth pastor again that i could go and uh try this on a on a certain scale within our within our youth group there and uh sounds so exciting we really appreciate your insights and your excitement um on on this particular topic and thanks for sharing some experiences um and we're so thankful for the time that you took to invest in putting these thoughts together and we're so thankful, Brother Moorhead, for your time today. And we're going to turn the call over now to Brother Thomas, who's going to give us uh, some concluding comments and some announcements and conclude this uh, podcast in prayer. Well, thank you once again, Brother Moorhead. We appreciate your time. And we'll turn it over to Brother Thomas now. Thank you, Brother Ranking. And thank you, Brother Moorhead, for sharing with us tonight about tables, tribes, and small groups. I really love the practical insight that you gave us about how to engage our students in tribes and in small group settings. You know, I've found that there are some students who will not really interact or become engaged in youth ministry until they get in the small group setting. So re we really appreciate the information uh, and insight that you gave us tonight on this podcast. And for those of you who are listening in, we need your help in helping us get word out about this valuable training podcast that youth ministry sponsors each and every month. We currently have 24 previous episodes in our archives, and all you have to do is visit community.com 
to access all of our previous podcasts. So please share this valuable information with your friends that are in youth ministry. And if you or your students are attending General Conference in Louisville, Kentucky, we want to issue you a special invitation to join us for the Youth Day service that will be taking place on September 28th at 12 p.m., the Friday of General Conference. Brother Chantry Dean will be preaching and Sister Stephanie Gallion will be leading us in worship in that service. We're expecting great things. Also, don't forget August 26th is our She's for Christ Sacrificial Offering Day. This is when we ask each church to receive a focused sacrificial offering that will go towards She's for Christ. This year, our goal is $5.6 million, and we are believing that with your help and the help of the Lord, we will advance the kingdom by raising and hitting our goal for She's for Christ, which is $5.6 million. So we're believing for success in that area. And now I want to close this podcast out with a word of prayer. So if you will, if you're driving, please stay focused on the road, but join us in prayer. If you're sitting in your home or wherever you are, we ask that you join with me right now as we close this podcast in prayer. Lord Jesus, I thank you so much for every youth worker who took time out to be on this call. Lord, they care enough about their students and their local student ministry that they are trying to expand their horizons and they're trying to learn and glean more about youth ministry. So, Lord, first of all, we thank you for such youth ministers, for being on this podcast, on this call. And, Lord, we pray that you would enrich their student ministries. We pray, God, that you would increase their vision and their burden, Lord, for their students. I pray, God, that you would help us to take the practical and spiritual advice that we receive on this call. And, Lord, see it come to pass in our youth ministries. Lord, we pray a fresh anointing on all of us as we endeavor to see your kingdom come in this current generation. Once again, we give you all the praise and the glory. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you for being part of this podcast and for listening in. And this podcast is made available and possible by your generous giving to She's for Christ. God bless.